Well, good to be with you guys. I think I heard some grunts. Yeah, okay. I thought I did. That's new. I appreciate that. That's great. That just, I mean, we can go home now. Like, I've got all I need. Uh, I'm going to open up with a reading of Psalm 103, verses 8 through 14. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Amen. Amen. The title of my message tonight is Of Dust and Glory, and it's gonna, it may be a little different, but it'll be okay. With today being Ash Wednesday, just wanted to kind of riff off of that a little bit and offer some meditations on it. And if, if you don't know what Ash Wednesday is, that's okay. It's one of those, those holidays on your calendar that you see and you're trying to figure out what in the world it is, kind of like Boxer Day. Um, I still don't know what Boxer Day is, but you look at it and you go, do I get off of work for this holiday? And that's really all I care about is whether or not I get off of work. So if, if you're unfamiliar with what Ash Wednesday is, it is today. And so uh, you're celebrating it, if you can actually celebrate Ash Wednesday, if that's something to be celebrated. But it is the day that kicks off Lent, which is the... In the Christian calendar, there are these different seasons. Like this past year, we focused on Advent. We had an Advent series, and Advent was the, le- the, uh, the weeks leading up to Christmas. Uh, Lent is the weeks leading up to Easter. And so it consists of 46 days, and it's typically associated with a time of fasting as well. And in the scriptures, you see oftentimes... Uh, Repentance being associated with sitting in ashes or dust and also with fasting, okay? So before I go any further, uh, we don't have any ashes tonight, okay? And I'm not gonna require you to fast, okay? So just chill out. Whenever I said fast, everyone looked a little tense. Um, But that's between you and the Lord. Uh, But anyway, so... uh, Ashes, uh, here's the deal. How many of you grew up in a church tradition that you, you uh, in a more formal way, participated in an Ash Wednesday type service? Okay. I grew up Pentecostal, okay? Which means I have no interaction with Ash Wednesday. It, for me, it was one of those holidays on the calendar, like I mentioned earlier. And so I, I'm, that's totally... Uh, a newer concept to me. I didn't grow up in that. But in this type of service for those who like me, maybe it wasn't a Pentecostal upbringing, maybe it was more of like a, 
a different type of church tradition or just no church whatsoever, in a traditional Ash Wednesday service, it would, it would involve you coming up and the priest or the pastor taking ashes that were made from the, the palms from uh, Palm Sunday the year before. And they would mark, uh, they would take the ash and they would mark a cross on your forehead. And they would say, uh, remember, oh man, you are dust and to dust you shall return. And that is this phrase that we hear and we're introduced to in the garden uh, as God tells Adam. And it comes after man's failure and fall. And these words are again repeated by David as he wrote Psalm 103. And this statement of we are dust, it speaks to this condition that... Uh, this condition of humanity that has plagued us from the opening pages of history and has uh, been persistent through every civilization since, affecting people of all cultures, all social statuses, all levels of education. We all still experience the sting of death through the form of sin in the world and sin in our own lives despite our best inventions, enlightenments, and technological advances. All of the things that we try to do to actually pull ourselves out of the dust. In fact, our best efforts, oftentimes they bring us nearer to the dust than they do to God. And this is, as the, uh, as the, the poet T.S. Eliot said in his poem entitled The Rock, which I'm going to read a little bit of. Okay, so we're going to do a poetry reading tonight. Uh, I wanted to bring the, the piano player out, set the mood, turn the haze all the way up, much to your chagrin, and, uh, and just, you know, bring the lights down and do a poetry reading. But we're not going to do that. I'm just going to read it. Okay, so you're going to have to feel it. Put yourself here. Okay, so this is a, a, an excerpt from The Rock by T.S. Eliot. The eagle soars in the summit of heaven. The hunter with his dogs pursues his circuit. O perpetual revolution of configured stars. O perpetual recurrence of determined seasons. O world of spring and autumn, birth and dying. The endless cycle of idea and action, endless invention, endless experiment, brings knowledge of motion, but not of stillness knowledge of speech, but not of silence, knowledge of words and ignorance of the word. All our knowledge brings us nearer to our ignorance. All our ignorance brings us nearer to death, but nearness to death, no nearer to God. Where is the life we have lost in living? Where is the wisdom we have lost in knowledge? Where's the knowledge we've lost in information? The cycles of heaven and 20 centuries bring us further from God and nearer to the dust. Is that not beautiful? He wrote that in 1934. Talking, <laughs> that was good, that was good. So for anyone who's listening to this later and didn't hear that, Someone in the crowd said, I remember that. <laughs> uh, 
I'm not going to argue with you on that one. I think you're joking, though. But, uh, I mean, like in today's world, there is no shortage of words, no shortage of noise, no shortage of distraction. And in this sea of words, we've become ignorant of the word. In this sea of noise, we've become uh, unfamiliar with silence. In this sea of information, we've lost wisdom. And in this pursuit of life, we've, uh, many people have lost life itself. I, I don't know if you've, ever, uh, if you've ever asked yourself that question, maybe in not such a poetic way, but you find yourself in endless cycles and you ask yourself, where is the life I've lost in living? Endless cycles of laundry and dishes. Endless cycles. Uh, man. Yeah. I'm sorry. That one hits a little close to home. Uh, okay. Endless cycles of ball games. Endless cycles of recitals. Endless cycles of homework and housework. Um, endless cycles of birth and dying. And you see all of this and you experience it. And at some point you look around and you realize that somewhere along the way of the demands of life or the distractions that you've lost life. You've lost the sense of a vibrant, uh, exciting, passionate life in the course of living. And he's looking at all of this and he's reflecting on it. He said, all of this stuff, these distractions, these demands, they're actually moving us nearer to dust than they are moving us nearer to God. And that nearness he speaks of is, is relational. It's not spatial because, I mean, God is everywhere. How can you... How can you hide or flee the presence of a God who is in everything and everywhere? But it's in the same way that you can be sitting in a chair next to somebody and spatially be close to them, but there be a chasm between you of distance. Uh, in the same way that you can share a bed with someone, and at times there be a distance between you, uh, far greater than that of the space between you. The, the separation he speaks of here is in essence the relational distance that comes whenever, whether it's the demands or the distractions, we begin turning away from God and pursuing all of these different things. And I think it's for this reason that when David in Psalm 103, he speaks of the love of God. He opens it up with, he's talking about how great and how high God's love is. It reaches up to the highest of heavens and he talks about God's love in these grand dimensions and he talks about how his forgiveness, uh, he forgives us, he, he removes our iniquities and our sins as far as the east is from the west and he moves from these cosmic dimensions of this greatness and this grandness in speaking of God's love. And then he takes that and he moves into the closeness 
and the intimacy uh, comparatively to that of a father and a child. And he moves from these big dimensions to this intimate connection between a father and a child. And he says this, a father, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. The Lord is compassionate towards us. He'll correct us for sure. Anyone who's walked with him long enough can attest to that. But his correction comes from his compassion. And a lot of times our inner critic, the voice of our inner critic, anyone have an, an inner critic? A lot of times the voice of our inner critic is a lot louder than the, the, the voice of our uh, compassionate father. And we can find ourselves being more critical and more harsh on ourselves than, uh, than our compassionate father is towards us. And I experienced this just this past week uh, during, uh, during our Sunday service. The past few weeks have been just super busy for us. And I mean, our life is already full. I try to, whenever I, I talk to people about the pace of our life, I like to describe it as full, not busy. Okay, there's a difference. But the past few weeks have been busy, okay? And uh, for some people, a lack of food affects their mood, like the term hangry, okay? If they don't get fed, like they become a different creature, okay? Anyone like, that's you? You can readily admit, okay, okay. You have that self-awareness, that's great. For me, it's not food. I can, I mean, there are people that live under my roof, that, that share that, but I don't. Uh, I can go without food and it not affect me. But if I'm tired, different story, okay? Different story. I've come a long way. Like, oh, I've come a long way. The, so <laughs> Adam Harris, who led worship, I wasn't planning on sharing the story, but we're here. Adam Harris, who, who led worship, uh, on Sunday morning, he, he and I have been friends for a long time and we took a, a guy's trip one time to Port Aransas and didn't sleep that much uh, and I was super tired. Had mono too, didn't realize that, but because uh, you're a young guy, when do you go to the doctor, okay? Because you're dumb. Okay, so, <laughs> so I'm super tired, which means I'm also really irritable and we're on our way back in one of those stretches of the drive that there's nothing around and you're, you're probably hours from anything. And I don't know what he was doing or saying, but it annoyed me to the point that I literally pulled my car over and I said, if you say that or do that again, I'm kicking you out right here. Like, <laughs> like that is not me, okay? That is not normal. But, but when I'm tired, like, I've become a different person. Now, listen, I've grown in that. Like, I'm not, I'm not at that level. But the past few weeks have been really tiring and I've just felt out of sorts. Um, like my, my stability, all of that has just kind of been off kilter a little bit and, uh, you know, in, in the home and with, with the family and everything. And I was just really beating myself up. Like, 
you need to just get your act together and, you know, like pull yourself back up here. And I've just been thinking like I have been doing a terrible job of being a husband and dad and everything for the past few weeks. And um, Sunday morning, I was during worship, I was praying for our church, praying for my family. And I heard the Lord say, because uh, in my prayer for the family, I was like, man, God, like I've been failing big time the past few weeks. And uh, I heard him say, uh, you're doing better than you think. And um, that meant a lot. Uh, and I think just even during worship tonight, as I was praying for this message, um, I feel like that's a word, not just for me, but for others in the room as well, um, that you need to know that you're doing better than you think. Uh, for people who are like harsh like disciplinary people and like maybe you're really legalistic and that makes you uncomfortable uh, that the Lord might tell you you're doing better than you think. Chill out, okay? <laughs> like the Lord will correct us for sure. Um, but I, I've also seen in my own children when they're beating themselves up more than they should be and you just need to calm them down and say, listen, it's gonna be okay. Um, and I just sense the Lord not only speaking that to me, but to, to others as well, um, that you're doing better than you think and, and you're going to be okay. And he spoke that to me Sunday morning and that evening, uh, took a couple of my kids and we, we ran an errand. And as we're in the vehicle, random, uh, one of them randomly says, and before I share this, you may think like, oh man, that's so sweet. I wish my kids said stuff like that. I will tell you, this is the exception, not the norm, okay? This is not a daily thing. But as we're driving, one of them randomly says, uh, hey, Dad, one of the things I really appreciate about you is that you're almost always in a good mood. And just like, again, just what the Lord had been speaking to me earlier that day of you're doing better than you think, and that to me speaks to how oftentimes that voice of the inner critic can just be on level 12. And we need to tune that down and tune into the voice of our Father who offers forgiveness and mercy, discipline and correction as well when, when needed, uh, but also he's compassionate, he's slow to anger, he's abounding in steadfast love and he's merciful. Um, that's who our God is. And he knows, I mean, listen, he, he knows us better than anyone else. He knows our frame. He knows that we're dust. Uh, he knows our frailty. He knows our brokenness. He knows the things that you're ashamed of. He knows the things that you try to hide. He knows all of it. And yet, despite knowing you better than anyone else and all of your shortcomings better than anyone else, he's the one who loves you the most. It's mind-blowing. Uh, it's incomprehensible. Uh, the term frame in, in this is also a term that's used in, in pottery. Uh, any, any pottery people, like you... You like doing pottery, okay? There's a few. My mom always talks about, I'm going to this pottery class. Like, cool. <laughs> Good for you. 
Take one of my children or four of them, you know, whatever. Uh, but, but the term that's used here for frame is also used in pottery. And uh, I don't know about where you live, but where I live, the, the dirt around my house is that red Texas clay that is super annoying and super messy. And, uh, and I don't like it. Um, but as annoying and as messy as it is, when you put that in the hand, and when you put that in the right hands, it can be turned into something beautiful. Okay? Despite how annoying and messy we are, tell your neighbor he's talking about you. <laughs> when we put ourselves, when we come to the end of ourselves and we put our lives in the hands of God, our lives can become something beautiful. Uh, Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 6 and 7. He said, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. Not only does the one who know you the best love you the most, but he also, despite all of your messiness, all of your annoyances, all of that has chosen to pour his spirit into you, to place on the inside of us the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead, to give us power to see the sick be healed, to give us power to see demons flee. Like that's not some sort of abstract concept, that's not some hypothetical, that's literal. And that's not for somebody else, that's for you. Like he has given you that power. And before you think that you're hot stuff, okay, we need to remember that we're still in and of ourselves totally insufficient. And that's why it's, it's saying, like the, the encouragement here is remember that we're just the vessel. Like we're just the jar of clay that carries something of value, something of power. And whenever we are reminded of and mindful of uh, in humility, our shortcomings and how we continually come to the end of ourselves and yield ourselves over to God, then he continues to pour that out in our lives. Uh, but lest we get mixed up and confused and think that it belongs to us, that we're some hot shot, something special, we're in dangerous territory, okay? This is why it's so hard for people who have built such a great life and the, they've been able to build the life they want with their own hands, have such a hard time entering the kingdom. Because to enter the kingdom is to surrender yourself, surrender your life to Jesus, there's a, a story from the Old Testament of a man that fit that description. His name's Jacob. Uh, we're going to look at a little piece of Jacob's story. Jacob, whose name means the one who grabs the heel or uh, he who cheats, okay? 
Now, before you make any sort of connections to like our senior pastor's name is Jacob, okay? Don't. Uh, pastor Dwayne's the one who gave him that name, so take it up with him. That's all I got to say. Uh, so his name, you know, means the one who cheats, and that's, he has been able up to this point in his life to kind of swindle his way into the life that he wants. He's been able to control the outcomes and use his strength, use his wits to receive the blessing that he wants. And all of that's great until he encounters God. And he comes to this realization of his inadequacy. And that's where we're gonna pick it up in in chapter 32. And what's happening here in the story of when Jacob wrestles God is Jacob has cheated his older brother out of the birthright blessing. And as you can imagine, with most interactions with people that get swindled, uh, eventually they're going to find you. Okay? Uh, Sorry, I had to throw a few jokes out of my head. Okay, they're going to find you. And what's happened here in, in chapter 32 is he finds out that his brother Esau plans on, on coming to him and he has 400 men with him. And as you can imagine, this terrifies Jacob and he thinks he's coming for revenge. He's probably going to kill me, maybe my whole family. I don't know. And so he divides his family or he divides all the people who are with him up into different camps and he sends his family out on ahead And he prays to the Lord for safety and deliverance. But just in case God doesn't hear him or come through, he's gonna go ahead and send a gift to his brother Esau. Like, hey, just here's a gift from me to you, we're cool. And what you see here is even though he's praying to the Lord for deliverance and safety, he's still scheming. He's still doing the thing that he's done his whole life to get what he wants, okay? He's still working the angles. And we pick it up in uh, verse 24. So he sent everyone else out. And it says, And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. All of his ideas, all of his schemes have, as T.S. Eliot said it, have actually brought him nearer to dust. And he encounters God here in the dust. Have you ever wrestled? Anyone ever wrestled? Okay. My child raised, raised her hand. That's awesome. Um, I didn't wrestle in high school, but uh, about five months ago, I started training in jujitsu, which is like a form of, of wrestling, just with you're trying to strangle each other. And so if you ever see like, marks on my neck or anything like that. It's not from Abby uh, in a violent or romantic way. Um, Oh, that's great. Oh man. When I used, when I used to listen to Pastor Dwayne embarrass Sue I was like, you know, I don't know if I would ever do that. Here we are. Uh, 
you know, I, so I was, uh, when I started doing that, I thought I was in decent shape. I ran quite a bit, you know, thought I was, I was going to be okay. I get in there and wrestling is a different kind of exertion. Okay. After about five minutes of that, I was done. I mean, I was just like, somebody's got to wheel me out of here because I've got nothing else left. And oftentimes we can read this and just be like, this is, by the way, like one of the more mysterious stories in scripture. And we just read it and we're like, okay, just wrestled all night long. No big deal. Like that is it. I can't even comprehend how exhausting it would be because presumably he's thinking, because it's, it's nighttime, so he can't see. He's like, this guy has been sent by my brother to kill me, okay? So he's not just wrestling for fun, okay? He's wrestling for his life. Absolutely exhausting, rolling around in the dirt, getting all nasty, dusty, which one of the translations of the word used here for, uh, for wrestle is to roll around in the dust, to get dusty, okay? There's no way to stay clean and do this, all right? So they're rolling around and uh, I mean, this is the guy that's been able to control all the outcomes he wants, been able to keep up appearances and now he is exhausted, fighting for his life, covered in, in sweat and dust and he's thinking he's doing pretty good, right? I mean, he's lasted through the night, probably pretty confident in himself. And then the, the man he's wrestling realizes, oh, hey, sun's about to come, out, come up and I got to get. And so he just touches his hip and with the touch, it dislocates his hip. Okay, again, weird story. But this is the part in the story that is meant to tip off the reader and Jacob that he's not wrestling a normal person, Okay. This whole time they've been wrestling and the guy, find, like the guy decides, hey, it's time for me to go, so I'm just gonna dislocate your hip. And I've never, I've never dislocated a hip before. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure how that, that feels, but uh, there are moments whenever a, I've seen this happen, whenever someone less skilled is wrestling someone more skilled and the more skilled person's kind of just letting them play. They're taking it easy on them. And then the less skilled person starts getting a little arrogant. Okay? And they're thinking, hey, I'm holding up pretty good. And then they start getting a little cocky about it. And then the better person just folds them up like a pretzel. <laughs> and shows them parts of their body they've never seen before. <laughs> and this is what's happening. I, I, I can't say specifically that. But there is, there is this moment uh, that Jacob comes to this realization that this is no mere man that I've been wrestling with. And that's what causes him to go into this next statement in verse 26. He said, then he said, this is the man he's wrestling with, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. See, I used to, whenever I read this story, I used to think that this was a moment of triumph for Jacob. That he's, he's outlasted the, the man that he's wrestling. He's finally pinned him down to the ground and he's not going to let him up until, uh, until he receives his blessing. 
okay? Again, I've never dislocated a hip. I've dislocated ribs, but never a hip. Uh, but I would imagine that it is excruciatingly painful, okay? And so what's happening here isn't that uh, Jacob has God pinned down. It's that he's clinging to him out of pain, unable to stand on his own, and God is holding him up. See, the, the hold he has on him is not one of, I'm trying to dominate you. Because that's, that's Jacob's typical MO, right? He's been able to get the outcomes he's wanted by exerting his own strength. But here he's come to the end of himself. He realizes his own frailty and his own brokenness, his own weakness. And now instead of seeking to uh, dominate, instead of seeking to exert his own strength, he's clinging to the man to hold him up. And now he's saying, saying I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And the man's response was, what is your name? And from what we can tell in the story, he's wrestling the angel of the Lord, which is a term that's used in the Old Testament for when God is uh, manifested in, in the flesh. And so we can assume that Jacob's identity is not unknown to the man. He knows what his name is. Yet he asks him this question because he's inviting confession. Uh, what is your name? And Jacob has to admit not just his name, but his identity. I'm the man who has cheated. I've cheated my own brother out of his birthright. I'm the man who's been able to get everything that I've wanted my own way. That's who I am. And what is God's response to this? The man said, verse 28, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with man and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. It was defeat and victory for Jacob. Out of his defeat, Jacob walked away with a new identity, a blessing, and a limp as all those who've truly encountered God do. We walk away with it with a limp. Uh, I used to strut before I encountered God. You know, there, I used to have a, a swagger before I encountered God. And after that, I've walked with a limp because I've realized that uh, my own strength is nothing. It's, uh, it's like filthy rags. Everything that I can do on my own and of my own strength, it's worthless. And whenever the light shone in my heart through those encounters with God, his light shone in my heart, 
I realized just how much dust I was. It's like whenever you're in a room and it can appear to be absolutely spotless, but then you crack open a blind and when the light shines through, you see all the dust particles flying in the air. And if you're a, a, you know, if you're a germaphobe, that freaks you out a little bit because you're like, I'm breathing in all of that stuff. The same thing happens in our life. We can think that we have everything together, but the moment his light shines on us, we come to this realization of just how inadequate we really are. It reminds me of uh, when Jesus called Peter. And when he calls Peter, uh, Peter had been out fishing and he comes back, hadn't caught anything. Jesus tells him to try the other side. He does, nets fill up. And it was like when, when Jacob was wrestling God and he had that moment of the person I'm, I'm encountering right now is not just a man. Peter had the same thing happen to him. The, the person that is in my presence is not just a normal person. He's not just a man. He's more than that. And upon that realization, that awareness, the light shining on him, what was his response? Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. This awareness of just how inadequate he is, just how much dust he is. And what is God's response? What does Jesus say to him? Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for men. Follow me. He gives him a new identity and he comes close. See, our, our sinfulness, uh, our shortcomings, our frailty, does not repel God. It draws him near. And the invitation he gives to us is to come near as well. And we don't just leave an encounter with God with a limp, but we leave with a blessing and a new identity. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 47 and 49, Paul writes this, the first man, Adam, was from the earth, a man of dust. Didn't know how many times I'd say dust tonight, did you? Uh, the second man, Jesus, is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are, who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, so we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Man. We were born into, uh, we were born of dust, born into a sinful nature. Uh, but when we come to faith in Jesus Christ and we surrender our lives to him, we are born again, not of the flesh, but of the spirit. We're given a blessing and a new nature, not one of dust, but one of glory. And as we, with unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord, we are transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another.